the sand for a while. Well, here it says, we are no lo- to no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. You see, early in the history of the church, false teachers and heresies, they were everywhere. And you, again, we've talked about this with Ephesians, right? When Paul left, he told them the wolves are waiting, they're coming in, all these things are going to happen. There's false teachers waiting to infiltrate this church. And the truth is, that hasn't changed for the last 2,000 years. And there's always some new wind of doctrine that's coming through. When the Galatians were in danger of falling prey to false teachers, Paul said this in Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? In other words, listen, this has been taught to you. Who has bewitched you that you would now follow another gospel? And Paul just tells them, you foolish people. And he's not trying to be rude to them. He's trying to just wake them up a little bit. Uh, We are to have true knowledge of the Son of God and the gospel. We should not be led astray by every new doctrine that comes along. I want you to think about the last, well, we'll just say your lifetime. Okay? Somebody tell me, and you can really answer this, what kind of new doctrines or philosophy have just shown up throughout the years? Can you think of some? Or maybe a popular false teacher. All right, the New Age movement. Yeah. You guys know what that is? Kind of the pagan New Age philosophy stuff. If you don't know, just go to Barnes and Noble, and I guarantee you that section is much bigger probably than the section where they have their Bibles. New Age is very popular. Things like tarot cards, all that is back in swing. All the old pagan religions, they're back. And guess what? Those are, uh, we can count those as waves and winds of doctrine, but those aren't new things, are they? They're just old things getting recycled. I was teaching Sunday school about a year ago, and I was doing some research on some of this because of the passage we were teaching. You know the, the Wiccan capital of the world is in Asheville, North Carolina? It's the pagan center and capital of the world. People come all the way over there. If you go up into the mountains, they have some kind of energy vortex that they believe is there. And they come from all over just to experience that. But I've got friends that are in the ministry in, in uh, Asheville, and they'll tell you it is not like any other place. You go to board meetings, and they're having uh, different Wiccan meetings and different things going on. It's just a different kind of place, and that's the, the world that we live in. Old religions and old heresies just kind of keep coming back up. What about anybody got another one, false teacher, some kind of new philosophy that has come in in your age? Okay, Jim Jones. Of what? The what? Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, so there's been all kind of things, right? Well, I want to give us a few examples of some of these new heresies, though, that come in, right? Because they almost always kind of come back to the same ideas over and over again. You go back in early in church history and you had a heresy called Arianism. Uh, This was a heresy that denied the divine nature of God, particularly of Jesus. Okay, so we're talking about uh, Jesus wasn't really God. And they decided, well, he's at least not quite equal with the Father because he didn't exist from eternity past. And so he might have some kind of divine nature, but he's not exactly God, right? 
And so we have that idea coming on, and, and uh, traditionally we kind of say that's why St. Nicholas uh, punched this guy at the Council of Nicaea, because St. Nicholas was there, so Santa Claus is there, and this guy is denying Jesus' divinity, and supposedly he punched him in the face. Now, turns out that's probably church tradition. The first recording or record we have of that is a thousand years after St. Nicholas died. So I don't think we have to worry about that probably being true. But nevertheless, you can see that even early on in the church, this was something they were fighting over. They denied again that Jesus was eternal. This is a conflict with the biblical Jesus, the understanding of Jesus' nature, the doctrine of the Trinity. Nevertheless, it crops up from time to time. Can you guys think of any groups today? that believe Jesus is kind of divine, but maybe not equal to the Father. The Mormons. The Mormon church is the number one. You know, if you look at Mormon doctrine, they believe that Satan and Jesus were brothers and that Jesus chose the good path, so he gets to be divine. Satan chose the bad path, so he ends up being Satan. And guess what? If you choose the good path, you might get to be God one day too. You guys didn't know that, did you? That's part, of, that's part of their official doctrine. And so I just want to tell you that, listen, these heresies just keep going in circles, and, and they get built off of. So it started out with just a denial of, these guys in the beginning were just trying to wrestle with the Scripture and trying to understand who Jesus was. There was some legitimate confusion, right? They didn't have the word Trinity. They had not had people practice and unpack these details for us. But now the Mormon church comes along, takes a few of those heretical ideas and then add some more to it and uh, so again I'm not trying to be disrespectful I'm just telling you exactly what they teach when you begin to get into the doctrine any of you ever read the book of Mormon it's an interesting read it is uh, and and more than likely I, I found that the missionaries the Mormon missionaries that come to your house they, they don't always know all this uh, they have very limited access sometimes to what they're teaching um, what about another group that maybe has similar ideas? Jehovah's Witnesses, that's another one. Similar idea. Jesus isn't, he's not the God. He's a God. So another heresy that they had back in the day is called Pelagianism. This is essentially a denial of the sinful nature of mankind, right? We as Christians accept that we all have this sin nature. There's not a single human on the planet other than Jesus who is going to live a sinless, perfect life. Take a child, raise them as innocent as you want, and nowadays they tell you just keep them out in the, the woods and nature and keep them away from everybody and he'll just be a, a good, natured, loving, happy person. Is that, gonna, is that the case? I certainly, that's not what the evidence seems to suggest to me. Uh, it seems that we, the, according to the scripture, we have all sinned. And we all will sin, and we all share in the sin of Adam and Eve. And because of that, we believe in the total depravity of man, some people call it. But either way, it is that we are all born with a sin nature. Well, Pelagius did not believe that, and, and his followers after him did not either. They believed that everyone was created good and can live a life completely free of sin, even if it's unlikely that they would actually do so. That denial of original sin ultimately led people to believe that one could avoid sin and earn your salvation. Now, I find that when I talk to people here in the States, the idea such as orig original sin, that gets rejected these days. Right? You guys don't think that because you've grown up with a Christian worldview. 
go to the education department at the university. I know I, I've got certified. I'm a certified math teacher, right? So uh, Haley's looking at me like, you weirdo. But listen, you start taking these philosophy classes and education, and guess what? At the core is we just got to build up their self-esteem because we're just good people, right? Like people are just naturally good. How's that working out for us? I really don't think it's working very well. Uh, but what you will find if you go and begin to ask this, there's this idea that people are just naturally good. If we could put them in the right environment, they will turn out to be perfect people. And that just doesn't work that way. We find ourselves often believing in general, the general goodness of mankind, but that idea comes with consequences. By the way, I, I find this in um, liberal teachings as well as in academics where secular humanism has long held sway. So liberal Christians will often also deny original sin, but also secular humanism, which is the official philosophy taught at most universities, is kind of their worldview, what they think this world is like. An extreme example of that, I believe, and something that would actually flow out of that, is the normal view of communism, right? You say, well, how, does, how do you get from everybody's born good to communism? Well, isn't the idea of communism, isn't a utopian view of, hey, we can all get together and share. We might need a, a government to kind of lead us and direct us so that we're all working together. But over time, the government can just step aside and people live in this nice utopia where we just share and love each other. Sounds like, it sounds good on paper, right? except for the sin nature of mankind. How often has that worked out in history? It hasn't. And I, I think there's a reason that we're told to submit to the authorities and why God has ordained it that we'd have a government over us to restrain evil. Because there is no society, no perfect society, and never will be where all people can just be good. But as these ideas come out there and as they are taught, we need to recognize them, and we need to not be children. And every time a new idea comes across, we go, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll go with that new teacher. He, or that that, that uh, local pastor, that new pastor on TV, he's good. He's got a good personality. I like him. He's funny. I'll believe whatever he says. We don't think that to ourselves, but if we're not careful, we can do it. Um, I've often thought that a especially a, a more charismatic pastor, someone with a personality that just kind of gets people to follow them, they can teach you anything if you're not careful. If you don't examine what they say and every doctrine that comes out there by, a script, by the Scripture to see what the book says, then you can, certainly be, you can certainly be led astray. A biblical worldview tells us that instead, the heart is deceitful above all things. No one seeks good. Indeed, we've all been corrupted and go our own way. Communism, other views that take that philosophy, do not work out in the real world where sin exists. I've got one more I want to go into, but I want to read you just a tidbit from secular humanism. Actually, maybe I didn't bring those notes up here with me. Uh, there it is. This is just off of the secular humanism website. Okay, You guys wouldn't know it, but they have a website these days, and you can just go and get all the ideas and learn how to live your life according to their principles. But it says it's a comprehensive, it's comprehensive, it touches every aspect of life, including issues of value, meaning, and identity. 
Thus, it is broader than atheism, which concerns only the non-existence of God or the supernatural. Important as that may be, there's a lot more to life, and secular humanism addresses it, they say. In other words, we've got a philosophy that will encompass all of your life. And really, their purpose statement is saying, we want to help you live the best life for you. Whatever you think is a fulfilling life, we have the ideas that are there. But one of the biggest part of this is they say we're non-religious. We espouse no belief in a realm of beings imagined to transcend ordinary experience. So then they say it's a naturalistic philosophy. It holds that nature, the world of everyday physical experience, is all there is, and that reliable knowledge is best obtained when we query nature using the scientific method. Naturalism asserts that supernatural entities like God do not exist and warns us that knowledge gained without appeal to the natural world and without impartial review by multiple observers is unreliable. You hear that? You see, it started with humanism, which kind of put man at the center of the universe. You want to know about man? Well, let's study man. Let's study literature. There's nothing wrong with studying literature. We learn a lot about the character of people as we begin to study and read. Reading is good. But at some point, they decided, you know what? We really are the center of this, this show. And they begin to look there to a bigger and say, well, you know what? There's really not a God. And so if you are a secular humanist, you're automatically rejecting the supernatural. That's taught in schools all around us. Now, if that's there, we have to know and not be children tossed about by the waves. Because they don't, they don't just tell you this stuff up front. They never start with the extremes, just like when the Mormon comes to your door. You know what they tell you every time? We believe in Jesus, just like you do. But they don't. But that's how you, you start slowly and little by little until you bring these doctrines in. But I just thought it was interesting reading, reading this and how they, uh, again, another definition of secular humanism or just humanism. Any system of thought or action concerned with the interests or ideals of people, the intellectual and cultural movement, characterized by an emphasis on human interests rather than religion. I mean, you can see it. And they come up with a whole ethical system, but it's really based on you just living a fulfilling life and what's better for society and their mind based on their what they would call science. They say, if you'll just live by these principles, we'll have the best society and be the best people we can. And that's just what's out there. There's one more philosophy, though, I want to get us to tonight, one more doctrine to kind of take a look at. It's the prosperity gospel also known as the health and wealth gospel. I may have been in churches where that was proclaimed, where it was taught. And if you, don't, if you haven't been in your church, maybe you visit another one, or maybe you watch some pastors on TV, right? And you can go and you can watch these guys, and they will tell you, if you're not healthy and you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, devastating that would have been to the Apostle Paul, who often said, you know, we were sick, we had sleepless nights, we despaired of life itself. He was imprisoned. At times he said, listen, I had to learn to be content with having a lot, and I had to learn to be content with having nothing. You know how devastating it would have been to go to the Apostle Paul and like, you know, you're only sick, Paul, and you're only hungry because you don't have enough faith. If you would just trust God, you could live your best life now. 
That's a modern philosophy. And it really only, well, I say this, I say it should only work in a country like ours where we have the benefit of having a pretty decent standard of life. But the truth is, this stuff spreads all over the world because people are looking for hope. And when you come in and you tell them, hey, if you would believe this and say these things and have enough faith and send me enough money, you'll be healthy and wealthy. I was, I'm always surprised. Um, there's one uh, popular uh, female preacher on TV that, that preaches a, a version of this. And uh, I won't name her name tonight because we're on camera. But listen, she's like the most popular person. Everybody, every country you go to, she's on a TV somewhere. I knew Muslim men watching her on TV. And I'm thinking, first of all, something's watered down with this message if you can handle this message, right? If, if she's preaching and you don't, aren't offended as a Muslim and you think, oh, yeah, this sounds great. I can, I can buy into this. Because you know what they did in Islam, at least in Turkey? They developed their own health and wealth gospel. They really did. They took the same ideas, same way of making money, the same way of convincing people, if you'll do these things and donate to our organization, you'll be okay. Listen, all that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That's all there is to it. The scripture does not teach us that. As we read 1 Peter, last week, Jesus suffered for you leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. Does that sound like the health and wealth gospel that we know? Right. But if you guys would buy me an airplane, you guys will have a better place in heaven, you know? Uh, Those are just the kind of things, I mean, I wish I was joking about that, but people say that kind of stuff on TV, and then they say, well, I didn't actually ask for the airplane. They just gave it to me. I, I don't know, it's... I'll get off of that before I get into specific, uh, specific teachers. But we need to be very careful as people who have had the benefits of knowing the teaching of the apostles. We know the teachings of the prophets. We have pastors and teachers. You've had Sunday school teachers. We've had evangelists. We've had the church that should be solidifying and building us up so that when all these things come in, we don't just get knocked down like the child running into the waves that's really what this is leading us to so that as every new thing new idea or old idea that has resurfaced comes up we can examine it and go yeah you know they already dealt with this at like six different church councils okay and we can read in the scripture and here's what it says so we don't buy into that and i think that's very very important in this day and age Anybody have another philosophy to throw out there before we move on? Anything else that we just keeps coming up in our culture? Scientology. Yeah. Yeah. And that one's so weird, I don't even know how to to really address it, to be honest. Uh, So I won't mention Tom Cruise tonight. But... I, I really, you know, Scientology, they, they kind of hide it. And I know there's things you can read now and, and learn about it, but I just haven't bothered. It uh, sounds like there's a lot of drugs involved. So as we grow up in Christ, we're not easily tricked. We're not deceived by men and their scheming. False teachers are certainly out to deceive us, but you aren't children. So be aware of those who seek to do you or the church harm. 
Instead, when we encounter brothers and sisters going down a wrong path, and we will, you will have brothers and sisters in Christ that pick up an idea from somewhere and begin to run with it. You need to lovingly and gently point out to them, hey, you know what? That's bad, and show them in the scripture and teach them. We don't let people just go their own way. We want to be loving, patient, tolerant of one another, but there are times where the truth must be spoken in love. And so if somebody picks up something off the TV and you know it, you need to help them to see that that's not the right way to go. We need to know the scripture well enough that we can encourage one another. Part of maturing and growing up is that we can weather the storm of conflict. You can speak to and even correct someone in love. We cannot allow ourselves to be led astray. We should be watchful that others aren't led astray. When our brothers and sisters fall into sin, we have to speak the truth in love. You know, correction, even church discipline in the Bible, even when people get way off, it always has a purpose of redemption. If Stephen gets caught in sin and does something wrong, I need to go to Stephen one-on-one and talk with him about it. Not because I'm mad at Stephen, not because I think Stephen needs to be punished, but because I want redemption for Stephen. I want repentance, a good, solid walk with the Lord. And you know what? If he catches me and he says, you know, pastor is in a sinful, got the sinful pattern in his life. Stephen needs to come to me and tell me that, right? It, it's the same for all of us. Uh, I've kind of given up on Bobby already, but, you know. <laughs> I haven't made any Bobby jokes tonight. Yeah, my, my, son, my son told me I wasn't allowed to make jokes about Bobby, but I forgot. <laughs> uh, but we're to grow up. It says, according to this text, we're, you look down at verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. Then it begins to give us a new picture here. We all grow up into him. He's the head, and we are all part of a body. And it all takes us working together for this to work out. We all have to do it. It says, from whom is, he's the head from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. We talked about it last week. He gave us different parts. There's apostles, there's teachers, but all of us have differing spiritual gifts. And God builds up his church through all of us. He uses Jamie. He uses John. He uses Mr. Eugene. God has a plan. In each church, he equips us to do his work so that we will not be simply languishing, simply sitting there. I remember when I was a child, not too far from my parents' house, there was a house, and they were building it on the side of the road, and beautiful uh, yard in the background to me, lots of hills. There's some ponds down there. And they got the, this house started when I was a child, and then construction just slowed down, and then it stopped. And up until a few years ago, that house was still sitting there. Think any of those supplies, any of that, that they framed out and did are worth anything anymore? It's not, because it just sat. And any kind of construction that just sits, didn't have windows, didn't have the things it needed, so you can just imagine that the weather has come in and wreaked havoc on it. Nature has taken back over. Well, that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be using our gifts as the body of Christ so that we build up one another. We are not children anymore. So we have this analogy of the body, Christ the head, 
for their joints and shoulders and knees and hips and ankles and wrists and and each is necessary for the body to function as it was designed. When we grow up in Christ, when we function together as a church, each doing our own parts, using our spiritual gifts, the body is built up, continues to grow stronger. In verse 12, we saw that we are all equipped through the ministry of the church for the works of service. Each of us have a place of service. Even back in chapter 2, verse 10, we saw that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. As he saved us in chapter 2, said that you weren't saved by your good works, but you were saved for good works. So that as you come into the body, you'd begin to exercise those gifts. You'd begin to build up the church just as he has created you to do. So brothers and sisters, if we are to function properly, we have to make Christ the head. He leads us. We need to learn more about him. We need to imitate him. We need to see what the scripture teaches us about Jesus so we don't believe all the false doctrine. But he must be the object of our worship. He must be our greatest love and our greatest desire. As a church, we ultimately simply long to see Jesus glorified and exalted. Worship of Jesus, that's our purpose for being a church. It's to exalt him and lift up his name and to see him glorified. So application tonight is really simple. Know him. Study the scriptures. Know what it teaches. Read it to keep it fresh in your heart. Second, one, I would say adore him. Come and worship him. Foster an attitude of love and gratitude toward him. And then serve him. Use your gifts. How can you be serving the kingdom at Forest Heights Baptist Church? Because each one of you has a role to play. Each one of you certainly does. And I'm thankful for all of you. Um, unless somebody has a question or comment, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we'll have time for invitation. Thoughts tonight? Okay. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that we are no longer to be children tossed about by the waves and every wind of doctrine that comes at us. Father, I thank you that we can rest assured that the scripture that we have learned is solid, will never pass away. Father, I thank you for Jesus being the head of the church, being the head of this church. Father, I thank you that all things are found in Christ, and all things are summed up in him, that he is the head of all things. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to adore you and to worship you. I pray that Christ would be exalted here, and I pray that you give each of us wisdom to know how best to serve your kingdom here in this church. I pray that we wouldn't even overcomplicate it, but that you would just use us as we uh, come to worship and teach. Father, I pray that uh, you just continue to give us wisdom. Help us con to continue to grow into the body. Help us continue to serve. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. King of my life, I crown thee now. I shall the glory
apologize. I did not realize the words were not back there. I know some of you know that one. Um, and I could see the words in the back, and so I just assumed that you could too. Do you guys know this song? What was that? Okay. Well, why don't you just really quickly take a look at the next verse behind us, and let's sing one uh, more. It's hymn number 176 if you want to. Or number 176 in your book. That might be easier. Show me the tomb where thou was laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of void array guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget the again for your kind attention tonight and I pray that we all have a safe trip home but uh, I don't like lightning but I'm thankful for rain and so let's give thanks to the Lord and I'll, I'll pray father thank you for tonight thank you for a chance to study your word I do pray for your blessings on everybody that's here tonight I also continue to pray father for those that could not be here those who are traveling give us all mercies as we are, are traveling to see family and celebrating the birth of this nation I do thank you for rain, what it means to our farmers, what it means to those who are dependent upon that rain. God, I, tonight I pray again for Miss Kathy. God, I pray as she's in the hospital, the doctors would have wisdom and know how to help her. Father, I pray that uh, you would take away fear and anxiety, give her the peace that comes from knowing that Christ is holding her in, her, in his hand. Father, I thank you for your salvation, the hope that we have that this world is not the end. Father, I thank you for that. Tonight, God, bless us as we go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.